Amen. Thank you. Uh, you can uh, open your Bibles. We're going to be back in Galatians 4 to start with this morning. Uh, but I don't know if you recognize that last song that Sandy played. Uh, it's over 100 years old, and it was published by Frederick Lehman, and it's just simply called The Love of God. The lyrics um, are as follows. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. I love the second verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Well, again, the the love of God is the theme of Advent this morning. And uh, as we are starting to recognize, Advent is the Latin word for coming. The coming of something very significant. So much like God's people over 2,000 years ago, we look forward to two weeks from today celebrating the birth of Jesus. Yes, Christmas is only two weeks from today. What a miraculous birth and privilege that we have to celebrate it. Uh, Throughout this season, we renew our resolve to continue to move forward in faith while we wait on His return. Uh, Raise your hand if you... Enjoy waiting. Absolutely zero hands go up across the room. Nobody likes to wait. So um, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the most frustrating things can be when you uh, are heading up 21 North and somebody in front of you is going just five miles under the speed limit. Is that frustrating to anybody else? Yes, yes. I did the math. It only takes two and a half minutes from here to DeSoto longer if you're going five miles under the speed limit, and yet it is still so frustrating. None of us like to wait. We've got schedules. We don't want to miss anything. Well, Advent kind of slaps us in the face a little bit, a little wake-up call to the reality that has been said before, that if we are truly waiting on God, we will not miss anything. We're truly waiting on God. We will not miss anything. Last week we were reminded of the hope that we have in the waiting. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So when the fullness of time had come. It means that they waited. We, we also saw last week, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hope. In due season, it implies waiting. Hope implies waiting. Advent implies waiting. Over and over and over in Scripture, we are told to expect waiting. So uh, did you work on your list this last week, the list of the the hope that we have in Jesus? Uh, Really, uh, every one of these Advent weeks falls under hope. 
We, we have hope in Christ of the love and joy and peace. And, and last week, we started the list with a few things. The hope of heaven. John 14 told us, Jesus told us that he would come back to receive his own so that we could be with him. And so in hope, we cling to that promise in faith. Those of us who know the Lord, our entire lives are based on the hope of that promise. And we would have nothing without hope. We also have the hope of healing. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus came for the stripes. The stripes that he took on his back. The punishment that all the world deserved. He took it in order to redeem and restore God's most precious creation. In order to redeem and restore you and me. His healing may be physically, but it is most certainly spiritually. Nothing this world has to offer will heal like Jesus heals. We also have the the hope of friendship with God. And, And even though we are nothing of what a friend really is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we place our faith in this baby born in a manger, then Jesus becomes that friend. Uh, Someone who we can trust and confide in. Someone who we can let our guard down with and be the real us because he loves us anyway, even though he knows how ugly our hearts can be. Jesus becomes the best in us. And and through the word and his spirit and his people, he will encourage us when we're down just like a friend does. And the hope that we have of this divine friendship is that when we stand before God, accused of a long list of, of of things that very well may be true, Jesus as our friend and advocate will stand up and stand with us and say, no, listen, I've already paid the price for everything my friend here is accused of. That's the reality of the hope that we have. All this truth is based on the love of God. So I've got a really deep question for you today to start with. What does it mean to be loved by God. What does it mean to be loved by God? We probably all have some answers, but man, if we if we just continue to think on that, it's a very deep question. How does Advent point us to the love of God? If you're taking notes on the back of your outline, it is an acrostic today. And so we start with L and it stands for law. The L in love stands for Law, And it's really easy to skim it over and miss it there in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the, what is it? The law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So the law here would include God's Ten Commandments, His top ten that he gave to Moses, and actually uh, 613 different laws that God gave Moses between Exodus and Deuteronomy. Very specific laws for almost every situation that the Israelites would have faced. So, in Luke 2, in the Christmas story, uh, 2.21, Jesus being born under the law meant that he was circumcised on the eighth day. And in verse 22 in in Luke 2, Jesus being born under the law means that he was presented in the temple that we see in his story. Now, we have looked at the Ten Commandments before. It's, again, God's top ten list. He gave his people and he told them, okay, listen, here are ten rules. 
If you can keep them, you'll be right with me and right with each other. The people probably thought, ten rules, no problem, we can do that. Be right with God, be right with others. But a problem soon developed because they soon realized they could not keep them. And so, in reality, when the fullness of time had come there in Galatians 4, Jesus was born under the law that no one could keep. The next blank on your outline. Jesus was born under the law that no one could keep. We know that this didn't catch God off guard. It was all in His divine plan. Eventually, He set up the animal sacrifices. And and He gave them another law that really impacted Jesus the most. It foreshadowed why He came. Found in Leviticus 17.11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood makes atonement for the soul. Hebrews 9.22 paraphrases it like this. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or cancellation of sin. So blood makes atonement for the soul there in Leviticus, and in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. They both mean the same thing. Unless blood is spilled, then God and human, humankind will never be made right. They will never be reconciled. Your sin and my sin will never be canceled. So in this new animal sacrificial system, God said, Okay, listen, you bring an animal into the temple, you kill it, that animal's blood will pour out on my altar, and it will be a temporary fix for your sins. No matter the economic situation, the people always had a temporary way to pay for their sins, whether it was from a bull, a lamb, or a bird. God provided a way. Now, most people would sacrifice a lamb. Again, in the Christmas story, Luke 2.8, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. In those flocks of sheep, the shepherds would have always been looking for that perfect newborn lamb and they would set it aside and they would actually wrap it in swaddling clothes to protect it from blemish and danger because that lamb would eventually be sent to the temple for sacrifice actually which the shepherds here wouldn't even be able to take part in because of their ritual uncleanness so history tells us that Families would take one of those perfect lambs at a year old and they would spend some time with it so that it would be, kind of become part of the family. And at the appointed time, the dad of that family would take that lamb to the temple and he would put his hand on his forehead and take a knife and shed that innocent blood on God's altar and it would serve as a temporary fix to pay for the sins of that family. And every year after year after year, they would have to do the same thing. Because God said it was impossible for sins to be forgiven without the shedding of blood. Pretty soon, another problem developed and people just began taking it, taking advantage, taking it for granted. They used it for an excuse to sin. Well, listen, I can, I can do whatever I want to and then I'll take this lamb and he'll, he'll pay the price for my sins. You may have heard it before, God became fed up. With their empty rituals. And through the prophet Isaiah, he promised his perfect 
Lamb of God. I don't know if you noticed it in the video today, but it said, the manger holds all the love of God. The manger holds all the love of God. And so we can expound on Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent the Lamb of God, born of a woman, born to shed his own blood once and for all, born under the law that no one could keep to pay the price that no one else could pay, to offer remission of sins, atonement for sin that no one else could offer, and to redeem those under the law that we might have the adoption as sons and daughters into his family. Jesus said this, don't think that I came, in Matthew five 17, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. Galatians three twenty four. therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. See, all along, God's plan was not that people would be made right by keeping a bunch of rules or by offering temporary sacrifices. God's plan was to offer reconciliation and life through the baby born in the manger. Tiny, humble, helpless, offered. Weaving throughout many generations, the law of God shows us the love of Christmas because it points us to Jesus. The L in love is for law. The O is for opportunity. For opportunity. Opportunity is defined as a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. And I've heard Pastor Kevin say something to the effect of uh, that I believe that God has placed each one of us in just the right time in human history so that we be able to hear and connect with the gospel of Jesus. In other words, in his love, he has given us opportunity for eternal life. That, that opportunity is only through Jesus. Because through Jesus, we see what the love of God really looks like. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. Remember the hope that we have of of, of friendship from last week? It's based on this love. It's based on this opportunity that, that this love gives. God has placed you in the most ideal time in human history for you to be able to hear the gospel and and make that connection to his love. This uh, next passage is probably familiar. You've probably heard it at, at a wedding, because at weddings, a couple, they, they public, uh, make public their, their love for each other. But notice how the love of God is described, because each one, e- each way it's described gives us a little more insight on what does it mean to be loved by God. 1 Corinthians thirteen four. love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy parade itself it's not puffed up it does not behave rudely it does not seek its own it is not provoked it thinks no evil does does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never fails and now abides faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love now 
compare that with 1 John 4, 16. It tells us that God is love. God is love. And many times, I don't, I don't know that we have these in mind when we think of God. Do you realize how, how patient God is with you? Do I realize how patient God is with me? That's what love suffers long means. It means that he, he puts up with our, our nonsense and self-centered woe-is-me pity parties. He endures our rebellion because he loves us. He is slow to anger. And that doesn't give us excuse to sin. It should drive us to obedience and holiness when we consider how patient he is with us. Love is patient. Love is kind. You sense God's kindness in your life. The NIV translates Romans 2.4 that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Now similarly, His kindness, it should drive us to obedience and holiness. When we begin to grasp how kind He is to us. God's love is, is not proud. Actually, it's completely opposite. It's humble. He humbled Himself and left the magnificence of heaven to come to the most humble circumstances to a manger. So from magnificence to a manger because of His love. God's love is not rude. It does not seek its own. Think about that for a moment. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. The greatest beneficiaries of heaven The greatest beneficiaries of Jesus' death and resurrection are you and me. Heaven would be much less tainted if we weren't there. But because He loves us, He wants us. He wants us there. The passage goes on to say that God's love is not easily provoked. Basically, it means He's slow to anger. It takes Him a long time to get angry and act upon it. And all the while... In all of our rebellion, he's pursuing us and trying to get our attention to turn back to him. It goes along with his patience. We see it all throughout scripture. We've seen it in our lives. It takes a lot for him to say, enough is enough because his love is patient and is not easily provoked. Think if, think if you or I were God. Think of some of the things that have gone on in human history Think of some of the things that people have done to us. We would have probably figured out about a dozen different ways to just completely end mankind and start all over again. Aren't you glad that we are not God? God's love thinks no evil. It bears all things. It endures. and It never fails. And all of these add up to an opportunity to know the God of the universe. What an incredible opportunity that we have. An incredible opportunity to know this baby in the manger. An opportunity to experience his love. An opportunity to show his love to others. Because this world is looking for this kind of love. But it's easy to miss. Because it came as a baby and died as a criminal. So have you missed the opportunity? Have you missed, missed his love? 
because it's still available. Maybe you have, have seized that opportunity. You have, you have accepted it and experienced it. But part of his love is the most difficult for you to come to terms with. What part of God's love do you just need to, need to worship him for and, and thank him for today? Because maybe you've overlooked it. Maybe our prayer should be something like this. God, I don't understand how you can be so patient with me. I don't understand why you would want me in eternity. But Lord, I thank you for your love. And I know that there is no way that I can ever repay it. And help me to live in your love by living for you in holiness. And help me spread that love to others. The love of Christmas is found in the law. It pointed our need for Jesus. His love gives us opportunity to know His love and to make Him known. V is for victory. It's for victory. The old hymn, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. When you think of a conquering king that will bring victory to their people, what comes to mind? I mean, really, what, what, what comes to mind? I, I naturally kind of go to human history because it has given us plenty of conquering kings that brought victory to their respective dynasties. dynasties. Uh, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Louis VIII. We think of people like that when we think of conquering kings that bring victory most of us probably don't think of a helpless baby poor vulnerable pushed aside born in a cave since when does that look like victory that's the reality of first corinthians 127 god has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to, th- put, to put to shame the things which are mighty. This baby would accomplish a victory that no one else in human history ever accomplished because this baby would fight on a battlefield that no one else had a chance of fighting on. It's the battle for our souls. The battle of good versus evil. Jesus brought victory over spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Jesus brought victory over the serpent, over the roaring lion, over the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus brought victory over sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15.54 Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the victory that we have in Jesus is different than victory in this world. This is victory over addiction and over your past. This is victory over the pain that someone else has caused you. This is victory over unforgiveness. The victory that Jesus brings is victory over the the me monster that we all have hidden deep inside of us, some not quite so deep inside of us. Right after the angel 
announced the birth of Jesus in Luke 2. Verse 13 says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth goodwill, peace, goodwill toward men. The next blank on your outline. See, in order to have peace, you have to have victory. In order to have peace, you have to have victory. And through his miraculous birth, his sinless life, his criminal's death, and his incredible resurrection, Jesus offers victory to you and to me. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4 tells us we gain this victory. We overcome the world through faith. What does it mean to be loved by God? Well, this list is certainly not exhaustive. But it means that He's been pointing us to Jesus the entire time. Ever since this baby was born in a manger... He's been trying to get our attention, the world's attention, through the law Jesus was born under that no one could keep. It points us to our need for Him. Being loved by God, it means that He gives us opportunity and victory through this miraculous birth. And finally, being loved by God is for E, everyone. It's for everyone. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Church, we can put our confidence in the love of God. It is what this season is founded on. Love that the world offers, it will not fulfill. But the love of the Father and the love of the baby in the manger will fill our deepest needs and longings. It is for everyone. And if it's for everyone, then it is for you. Have you experienced it? Have you received that opportunity? Have you experienced the victory? Do you know God to be patient and kind and not self-centered? Do you realize the depths of His love that He would give His Son for you? This Advent season, we wait for His arrival. If we're truly waiting on God, we won't miss anything. While you wait, rest in the love of God. Psalm 27.14 will end with, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes as we go into this time of invitation? You consider the love of God. What part do you have the most difficulty coming to terms with? That He's patient with you, that He's kind, that he's not self-centered, that he's slow to anger, not easily provoked. He experienced that kind of love. We need to thank him for this morning. You know, you can't have peace without victory. And if your heart is 
the opposite of peace today? Have you rested in the victory of Jesus? You experienced it. Because you're not going to find it anywhere else. Lord, during this time of, of reflection and invitation, just while our hearts are speaking to you and listening for your voice, once again, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the love that you show us through the baby in the manger. We thank you for the love that you've shown us throughout human history, always pursuing, always pointing us to Jesus. Lord, as we leave this place, what an opportunity that we have to show, to share this love of God with others. God, I pray that uh, during this Christmas season, we wouldn't be so busy that we miss those opportunities. Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see the hurting people, to see people as you see them, opportunities to invite people here, opportunities to just share the love of God in our everyday lives. Oh, Lord, we need you because we get so distracted so easily. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church family. Be with us as we leave this place. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.